I didn't know they had to receive a clap. That's pretty cool. Good morning. How is everyone? We have been talking about stewardship, and, and like I said, I've been saying for the last few weeks, stewardship, when you, you know, when you think of stewardship, you think of finances. Um, but it's so much more than just finances, and if we were leaving it at finances, we really would be missing the concept of what stewardship. Stewardship involves every aspect of our lives. Two weeks ago, the first service we, we, we talked about was stewardship of self. Stewardship of self. Stewardship of what God has given you. Your skill sets, your abilities, your talents, all of these things, from your education to your position, all of these things don't belong to you. They belong to God, and they've been entrusted into your care to build his kingdom. And yes, to take care of yourselves as well, but to take care of the kingdom, to build first his kingdom. And we talked about last week's stewardship of family, your wife, your husband, your kids, Again, they belong first and foremost to God, and yet they have been entrusted into your care to deal with as God has called you to do and to honor them. Your marriage relationship is a picture of Christ and the church, and if we don't get this right at home, we're sending the wrong message out to the world. Your your marriage relationship, spouses, how you handle and love each other is, is, is you're sending a message to your kids. That's their first understanding of Christ. And so stewardship of family, if you missed those messages, um, go to our website. You can download them. Um, the podcasts are there, or you have CDs downstairs that you can get as well, but I want to encourage you to get them. Um, and today we're talking about stewardship of finances. And for the last couple of weeks, I've been help- having you write down two definitions. I'm going to have you write them down again if you haven't written them down yet, um, because we're going to go over them. Number one, stewardship. What is stewardship? If we're going to be talking about stewardship, we need to know how stewardship is defined. Stewardship is the conducting, the supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And so if we're going to be talking about stewardship and something that's being entrusted to our care and it doesn't belong to us, then it's important for us to know what the person who owns it wants, it wants to be done with it. And so we need to understand what obedience is because we're called to be obedient. So obedience is compliance with someone's wishes or orders, the acknowledgement of their authority. Like we said for the last couple of weeks, and I will say it today, and I will say it for the next two weeks, everything belongs to God. Everything. Nothing belongs to us. Psalms 42.1, you should know this by now. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything in it and the world and all people who live in it, they belong to the Lord. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Secondly, our lives are not our own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who was in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God's with honor God with your bodies. Alright? So if our physical possessions belong to Him, everything that we own, our skill sets, our abilities as well, everything about us, and our families belong to Him, this makes us stewards, doesn't it? All these things have what? Simply been entrusted into your care. You don't own any of them. 
You are simply managing something that belongs to God, that he has entrusted into your care, and he has given us the primary responsibility of what? Building his kingdom. His word says, seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, that is our primary responsibility. That means that these things that we have been entrusted into our care, yes, we're to take care of ourselves with them, but our primary goal is to further his kingdom. That's why we have these things. And when we don't understand that we're stewards, we act like owners. And when we act like owners, we dethrone God and enthrone ourselves, and we actually live lives of self-worship. Because you use these things not to glorify his name, but to glorify our own names. And yes, we can do these things with our talents and with our abilities and with our skill sets and with our education and with our families. It's about them serving us. Everything in our lives is about stewardship. It is not simply about finances. But today we are talking about stewardship of finances. So would you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, and then we're going to jump down through uh, the same chapter, but verses 15 through 17, and then Genesis 3, verses 6 through 7. Verse 8 of chapter 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Flip over to Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So let's just stop there for a second. So God, he forms this this earth, and and he speaks, and everything comes to pass, right? Everything everything happens. And then he forms man, and then he, he forms this beautiful garden, and in this garden is everything that man could need, Right? He forms beautiful trees, lots of trees, trees that are good to look at, trees that are good for food. There is everything that this man could need. And then he places man and he says, man, this is the garden I have made for you. You are to work it and you are to take care of it. What does that sound like to you? Stewardship, doesn't it? You are to take care of the resources and the provision that I'm blessing you with. And and part of this is that you can eat from these resources. You can have all of this. It's for you. Take care of it. But I have also placed in the same garden within your reach a small portion that you're not to touch. It's right in the center 
not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You ever wonder why God put that tree there? See, it was kind of interesting. A couple weeks ago, I was just thinking about all of this, and, and God just, I know God placed this into my head. When I think of stewardship, I do not think of this passage. And it just came. And I suddenly thought, man, why did God put this tree right there in that garden? Why would God give this beautiful garden, say, man, all of this, it's all beautiful, it's all for you, but right in the middle is a tree, and I'm putting it there within an area that you're supposed to govern and manage and take care of, but you are not to touch this. God didn't have to put that tree there. So why did he? How, how come God didn't take an angel right away and say, you know what, man, I'm just going to prevent you from t- taking from this tree, and he's going to guard this tree, so I'm going to have him encamp around it just to make sure you don't go near it. But he didn't do that. Why not? He wanted us to be obedient. That's it. He wanted us to want to obey him. He wanted us to want to love him. He wanted us, he didn't want to create robots. He didn't want to create, you know how hollow our obedience would be if we never had a chance to disobey him? It'd be shallow. It'd be real. We'd be robots. So in this abundant resource that God gives Adam and Eve, he says, this is all yours, and it's for you, and it's beautiful, but do not eat from this tree because you will die. What happens? All of a sudden, the serpent comes in, doesn't he? And the first thing the serpent does who is Satan, is he begins to put doubt in Adam and Eve's mind. Did God really say that? Did God really say you shouldn't eat from any of the trees? And he's twisting scripture. He's twisting what God said because he's good at that. And Eve says, no, no, God didn't say we couldn't eat from any of the trees, just not from this tree. And then Satan says, you know what? you had that tree too, how good that would be for you. You know what you would gain if you would take from what God has said not to. He doesn't want you to have that because it would benefit you even more. You would become like God. You know, it's interesting when I began to think about this, all of a sudden, it was like God was saying, so when I've given everybody for lack of better words, the Garden of Eden. See, let me put it this way. What God gave Adam and Eve were resources. He gave them resources. And he said, these are these resources, and it's for you to take care of yourself, to eat and everything, but do not take a portion of it. And so likewise, in our own lives, God has entrusted into our care resources. Do you see this? This is a repetitive theme right from the very beginning. Chapter 2. There is this theme of God saying, I want you to honor me with what I give you. I want you to be obedient and I want you to listen to me. So God, too, has given us, no, it's not the same thing, but it kind of is. God has given us resources. And he says, listen, these resources, I'm giving them to you. But there's a portion. 
that I want you not to touch. There's a portion. It's just a small portion. 90% is good for you. It's good for you. It's good for food. It's good, it's good, it's, it's good to look at. All of these things, meet your needs with it. But there's that portion. There's that, that small portion that I'm saying, no, honor me with that. Don't touch that. And likewise, today, Satan comes in. And he says things like this. Did God really say that? That's Old Testament. It's new now. You don't have to give to God. Did he really say that? All of a sudden, our minds start looking. Did God say that? I'm not sure he did say that. If I don't have to give to God, I'm not sure I want to give to God because look at that 10%. Man, that's good for food. Man, that's pleasing to the eye. Do you know what I could do if I had that 10% that was reserved for God? Do you know what I could do for myself? Man, it's good for gaining wisdom. It's good for building myself up. It's good for me if only I had that. And so Adam and Eve took from what they weren't supposed to, and that very action put Christ on a cross. That very action of disobedience separated man from God. Was it that God just couldn't have them eat this fruit? Was it really about a tree? Is it really that God is so desperate for your money that he just really needs you to give because he's broken, he's hurting? Is it really that the God who spoke and formed everything, the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, is it really that he really needs your finances? It's not that at all. He doesn't need your finances. What he wants more than anything is he wants us and he wants me to want to honor him. This isn't about money. It's about obedience. It's about passion. It's about heart. It's about love. It's about respect. And see, when Adam and Eve came out from under the authority of God and almost declared themselves king, saying, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, that was rebellion. And so many, many Christians come to church today and they, and they live these. Some just do not know this teaching. And sometimes this teaching has been so warped because we turn it around to say, listen, listen like the investment Christian. You want to gain more money? Give to God, because that's what it's about. Give to God. Man, God forgive us if we make even tithing about us. Yes, he promises us. Man, if you give, then he'll take care of our needs. And I've seen that happen. But what God wants more than anything is us to obey him. Life application writes this. God wanted Adam to obey, but God gave Adam the freedom to choose. Without choice, Adam would have been like a prisoner, and his obedience would have been hollow. The two trees provided an exercise in choice with rewards for choosing to obey and sad consequences for choosing to disobey. It was like as if all the other trees that God had given Adam and Eve were not enough I just want to pause there for a second I had like to 
teach on tithing. I don't think you guys have heard me teach on tithing in probably five years. I just haven't. When I do, I chicken out have my dad do it. I just do. You know, you know, because the truth is this, I'm so, it, you know, the, the picture of the church is this money-hungry church. You know what I mean? You hear so many evangelists with people on TV, and all they want is money. And so I've kind of, it just it repulses me because it's not about money. But God kind of spoke to me, and I'll tell you about that a little bit later. Um, and this is why I'm speaking on this. There's so much more about money. If we don't teach on this, then, then we're not... I've been wrong in not teaching for five years. But I do want to tell you this. 10% is the minimum. That sounds like rough, right? But I want to say this to you. If you're counting, like if you're going, okay, what's 10%? And you're like, what's the minimum I can get away with and give? You're missing it. I mean, you're so missing it. It's not about that. I just, I remember when God called us to go to Vanuatu. And I remember we went to that mission, to the islands. There was nothing there. And, I, and God told us, don't go with the denomination and don't even go and raise funds. It was crazy. Just, just go. We didn't have the money for it. And so we sold everything. And this is not glorifying us. It's not that at all. But we sold everything. And we didn't even know how we were going to go. And we just began, and God began to provide, and we packed crates and these kinds of things. And, and I remember we went all the way up, and I remember even saying, Lord, Lord, if we have a nickel in our pocket, we're going to go to that airport because I know that God has said this. And, and I remember about two weeks before we actually were due to leave, uh, they were having a, a goodbye party for us at the Tusis, and this one gentleman came up to us, and he said, um, he said, hey, so what are you going to do on the islands? And we said, well, we're going to go and do this and that. And then he said, well, where's all this money coming from? I don't know. You know, we're leaving in two weeks. I have no clue. And... Um, this one person, in the course of a year, put $120,000 into that. I couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't make that happen. I had no clue. It was two weeks before we were supposed to go. And this one person did all of that. Had no idea they could even do that. And they did. God brought us back, right? And when God brought us back here, and it's why we're in this position now, again, it moved us on a dream. It was a faith move for us. And I even said, you know, the church would be, I told the Lord, they'd be crazy if they hired me because this guy hears from God all the time. God tells him to go down there, and God changes his mind and brings him back up here. And this guy, you don't want this guy running the church because God keeps changing his mind and telling him all kinds of different things. But I knew God had said this. And when we came, we didn't have anything. I think we had like, like, like $1,500. And we came back to the most expensive place. We didn't have a house. We got rid of everything. We had a storage unit and we had some, some furniture in there. But we had no house. We had no car. We had no promise of anything. The church hadn't even promised us an interview because they probably thought I was crazy at the time, which I don't blame them. But there was nothing. It was just this. And it was terrifying coming back. I remember being on the plane seeing, I just for some, this may sound stupid, but there was a lady with a cell phone. I thought, she has a cell phone because she can tell the company she has a job and she can pay that bill. And I'm thinking, I got nothing. Like, and I got my kids and I got my family. And it was terrifying. And I remember coming back here going, okay. And, and, and the church had graciously said we could stay in the parsonage for two weeks. And that was really nice. And then we we're going to try and get down to see Lori's family. And I remember actually being in the church, and I was using the phone, and I was looking for, for, um, for a car to go down to, to Georgia because we didn't have anything. And, and, and I remember checking the rates, and it was just so expensive. And I remember going to the Lord saying, it's just too expensive. We can't do it. And, but I don't know, but somehow we're going to get you down there. And all of a sudden, I got this phone call. I heard the phone call. 
This gentleman told me, hey, listen, do you, what are you doing for a car? And I said, I said, well, I'm not really doing anything for a car. He said, well, call this other guy, um, and uh, I believe he, he wants to talk to you. So I call him. This person happens to be living in a different state and says, what are you, living, what are you doing for a car? And I said, and this is within five minutes. I'm not kidding you, five minutes. Five minutes of saying, I don't know what we're going to do. And, 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 and I said, well, we're not, we don't have anything for it. We don't have a car. And he says, well, I have a brand new car down here. It's got less than 3,000 miles on it. And he says, and I haven't, I've been trying to sell it. I haven't been able to sell it, and I haven't because it's your car. And he says, you know, it's a Honda Civic, and it's brand new. I, w- I want to tell you, what, what nobody knows was that it was the exact same car that Lori had dreamed of having with a sunroof, sporty, the exact color, everything down, I mean, down to the button. And I was just blown away. And he says, oh, I'll get it up there in a week or two or whatever it was. And then within like, two days, it was here. I remember maybe the church, the doorbell rings that come out. And this gentleman hauled it up and just walks up to us, hands us the key. I'm, the thing has, I mean, it's the car that we drive to this day. And, and he hands us the keys and he says, this is your car. He goes, if you don't wash your car, you don't wash this one. He goes, and you don't need to tell me if you, whatever, you, this is your car. Treat it like it's your car. And he gives us the keys. And then he takes our driver's license. And he takes us and he puts us on his own insurance. And then he gives us a, a, an envelope full of cash. And says, here you go. And then he just drives away. Just drives away. Okay, I could not come up with that myself. That is not, nobody knew what we were going through. And so I I say all of this to say, listen, if you suddenly go, hey, I want a brand new car, let me go to an island, you're not hearing me, okay? If you're saying, I want God to bless me, now let me go, and you know, you're not hearing me. What I'm saying is that when God calls you to do something, he takes care of you. We couldn't afford to buy that car brand new. We couldn't afford to do it. And God blessed us with it. And I've never forgotten it. And it's a story we tell over and over and over again. It's a joy to give to God. And it doesn't mean it always happens all the way around the corner. But I want to tell you, God says, man, just your resources, I'm going to give to you. And I want your focus to be about honoring me. And just so you know, when you honor me, I'm going to take care of you. But when we switch it around and say, hey, if you want this, then do this. It's an investment strategy. If you want more money, give to God. Guess what we do? We just rob the whole thing. All of a sudden, it's about me again. It's about me again. It's about how do I make myself better? How do I elevate me and my position and my finances? That's not what tithing is about. Tithing is about giving to God out of, out of an act of worship, out of an act of joy, out of an act of obedience to say, God, I want to honor you with what you've given me. But unfortunately, what happens is we begin to look at it and begin to go, man, what could I do with this 10%? We begin to tell ourselves that, ah, tithing is Old Testament. Being to justify why we don't give. See, the way it works is this. God wants us to have a part in this story. God wants us to have a part in sharing this gospel. 
Why did Jesus come die on a cross and then leave? Why did Jesus, who could have stayed, say to his 12 apostles, the disciples, hey, now go out and make disciples of all nations? I'm pretty confident Jesus could have done a better job. But Jesus wanted us to want to be part of his story. And then he gives us, in order to accomplish this mission, talents and gifts and abilities and finances and all of these things. And he says, with this is yes, take care of yourselves, but seek first my kingdom. And I know your needs, and I'm going to take care of your needs, but your focus needs to be on my kingdom. Now go. And what happens when we take those very resources that he gives us to furthering his kingdom, and we use them to further our own? It doesn't matter how much you say you love Christ. If you're doing that, it says that you don't love him like he calls us to love him. So God says, hey, I want you to be part of this. So I'm going to give you this. And part of what you have in your your hands is free will. You can choose not to do this. But there are consequences to that. And so God says to us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Only those who are obedient. Only those who live and act like I've called them to. Because what it comes down to is this. Our responsibility is to further his kingdom. With our talents, with ourselves, with our abilities, with our families, and with our resources. And the enemy will come in in every form and every fashion that he can. To twist God's words and to send us out astray. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 11 says this. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Over the sabbatical, um, this summer, I was just praying. You know, we've been doing 1027 projects, and and, and it's been a a beautiful thing. For those who don't know, we've been taking 10% as a church because we don't just preach this. We do it ourselves, uh, along with the leadership. We tithe, I tithe. And, and give above and beyond that to missions and other things. But, but we, talk, we, t- we take money and, and, and we pour it in. We take 10% of everything that comes in here. We say we want to build other ministries around the world that don't have the resources that we have. And we've actually watched the bank accounts get lower and lower and lower. And, and, and it's, it's been a wonderful thing. You saw Pastor Regimon up here who, who, um, with, an Indian, um, with an orphanage in India. And there are two particular areas. We've done a lot of different projects, but the two that stand out, one is in Haiti and one is in India. And we've made commitments to them, and those commitments basically have run out at this time. And, and, and I'm seeing all of this need. 
And in my heart, I'm going, I'm desperate because I want us as a church to do more. I don't want to just go, oh, well, we've done our part. We promise you this. Because in the end, there are mouths that are hungry. And there are people that don't know Christ. And, and we have direct open doors to make a difference. And so, so as 1027 Projects has been a great blessing, it's also been a burden. Because as I walk, I'm going, okay, God, you know, this isn't fair. I w- we need to do more. I want to do more. But I can only do- go so much with the resources that we have. I thought that you would pour out more blessing on the church for us doing this. You know, what's going on? Because we've watched the resources get a little bit lower and lower. And so I was praying, God, just give us the finances. And we have needs within the church that we're putting off so we can basically do these things. And then I felt God say to me on sabbatical, someone, I've already given it. He said, I've already given it to someone. It's in the pews. I've already given it to my people, and now you're coming to me and asking me to bypass basically my process of involving my people to build and share this gospel. You want me just to say, okay, whatever, I'm just going to come above it and give additional so they don't have to do what I've called them to do. And I thought, what? It's already here? And so I came back, and, I, and it was kind of confusing to me. And, but it bothered me. And then I thought about, you know, you guys, a lot of you guys did the whole now gospel, right? With Richard Stearns, he's the CEO of World Vision. And he, and he actually wrote this. He said, he said, do you know if you took every person in the United States that professes the name of Jesus Christ, every Christian, and if every Christian were to actually tithe 10% of what comes in, of what they make, he said, and, and if every church would actually do with the finances what God has called them to, is that it would wipe out the poorest one billion people on this planet. He said if God's people would do with God's money what God told them to do, there wouldn't be that much poverty anymore. And so what happens is people go and say, if there is a God, how come there are people starving? And we go, well, God, you know, it's this and that. But a lot of it comes down we choose to elevate ourselves and take what God has chosen to give us and use through us, when we take that, that 10%, and we use it on ourselves, this is what we're doing. We're actually saying, God, my life and my wants are more important than other people hearing about you. And so I'm going to take what you've called me as a sacrifice to give, to build your kingdom, and I'm going to build myself with it. Whether we say that or not, when we do that, that's how we're living. And so God says in Malachi, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. You're robbing me with tithes, and you're robbing me with our offerings. And so this bothered me when God told me this, and so I came back, and I don't look at tithing here. I don't look at who, I don't want to know who tithes and who doesn't tithe. We just say people, you know, if you come here, you know, I ask that you, if you come here, I, I trust that you believe in this mission. If you don't believe in what God's doing here, and if you don't believe in the leadership here, you really need to go to a church that you believe in. I mean, I'm not trying to get rid of anybody, but if, I mean, if you don't believe in them, like, what are you doing here, you know? I mean, either you're here because we're in one accord or you're, or you're not, but we have about 260 to 300 people in this church, that, that actually attend averagely every week. And we have about a, we have 112 households. The median income 
in Massachusetts of $62,000 a year, all right? If everybody were to tithe, every household were to tithe, it would be $694,000 coming into this church a year. Do you know what comes in? $275,000. I didn't look at these. I didn't look at these numbers. But when I came back from sabbatical, I thought, I just want to just, out of curiosity, is, what, is, is this really God saying this? And when I look at the numbers, I go, okay, he's saying this. Do you know what we could do for the kingdom of God was $700,000, which is about $450,000 more than what actually comes in? Do you know that we live in the most unreached, unchurched part of this country? Do you know that God has placed you and he has placed me with my skill sets and my abilities and my talents and my finances as he has placed you with your skill sets and your abilities and your finances here in the most unreached, unchurched part of the U.S. and said, this is your area of operation. This is where I'm calling you to shine for me. This is what you do. Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and show them who I am. What is happening to us? We don't care about that anymore. What is happening to the church? What kind of picture of Christ is this? What kind of picture of Christ is it when we say, my needs are more important. My needs and my wants. God, help us. God, help us when we don't care enough about the people around us that we'll take the 10% and worship ourselves with it. Some of us might drive home in cars that are paid for with tithe money. And some of us might go home to houses that are paid for with tithe money. Money that God said, I trusted this portion to you. And I told you 90%, but I just said as an act of obedience, would you take 10% that others might live? And we couldn't do that. Because we looked at that 10%. And just like Eve and Adam did in that garden, said, man, you know what I could do? That 10%? Do you know what I could do? Man, I want to tell you, it's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It's a faith issue. How can we say, I trust you to forgive me for my sins, but I don't trust you to meet my needs? How can we say that? God has called us. And I told you that story early. You know, I don't typically like the way tithing messages go because typically what we do is we bring all kinds of people up to say, hey, and, and, and this is not me being, being, this is where God works. I gave this and God gave this. And, and then, you know, I gave this and then God gave this. And oh, great. So people are going, man, okay, give and get and give and get. And then the motive is all wrong. But I want to tell you too, God sees into the heart. And it's the people who go, man, it wasn't about getting anything back. I just felt God tell me to do this. I didn't know why, and so I just, I just did it, and, and, and God just did this for me, and it's just, it's just, it's just a blessing. And, 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 and those testimonies are incredibly important because God says, test me in this. See if I won't do this for you. 
See if, if, if you won't just grab hold and take part of this awesome ministry that I've given to you. If you'll just jump in, I want to tell you, I'll take care of your needs. I have you covered. And there are people. And I've said this to people where they say, you know, and I understand. Listen, I, it, it's not easy for, for you. can check our records. Our finances are open. You can see how much I make. You can see how much Rennie makes. And I promise you, we probably make a whole lot less than most people in here. And it's not about that. I'm not worried about saying, oh, you're using the money the wrong way. Whatever. Come look. But here's the thing. Matt, if we would just say, God, you know my situation, but I really want to honor you with what you're telling me to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it. This is not me saying, hey, do this on Christmas. No, but I'm just saying, there are some people that struggle and say, man, when I get through this, do you know you may be in it because you haven't done with it what God told you to do? Do you know that your greatest chance of getting out of it and freedom is actually to be obedient to God and say, God, I'm going to do this as an act of obedience to you? And so we struggle and go, no, God, I'm, I got myself into this mess. I'm going to get myself out of it. And when I'm through then, when I have the opportunity to give, then I'm going to do it. It's not going to happen. You got yourself into a debt of sin that you couldn't repay. And the only person who got you out was Jesus Christ. And if he, if he will die on the cross for your sins, he's got your finances covered too. But what he wants from us more than anything is our obedience. He wants our hearts. He wants us to want to do this. I mean, just think about your own salvation. I mean, think about what God has done in your life. And God says, I want to do that through you in the lives of other people. That's what I want to do. And I want you to want that. And I want you to want that with your talents and your abilities and your skill sets. I want you to want that with your families. And I want you to want that with your finances. And I'm giving them to you to do it with. Everything that are in your hands have been given to you by God. He's saying, just take a portion of what I've given you and give it back to me and watch me multiply it. What happens, just what happens if the church begins to walk and move and live this way? What happens if we can get our minds off of ourselves long enough to care about the people around us? What happens when we take this 10% and we spend it on ourselves instead of on God? And then, and then a lot of people say, you know, again, you know, well, my tithe, your tithe isn't your, 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 your money for retreat. Your tithe isn't the money for, for your book in small, in, in small groups. Your, your tithe isn't missions money. That's above and beyond the tithe. That's tithes and offerings. But again, if we start begin, begin to count and say, hey, listen, it's just this, if I, okay, 10%, that's it. Make sure to the dime, to the penny, whatever it may be, there's 10%. You're missing it as well. God says, give it joyfully. Give it joyfully. Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
A lot of people see, say this and go, oh, see, that's God saying, oh, look, it's Old Testament, it's not New Testament. He's calling them hypocrites. You know what he's saying? You know what he's saying? He's saying, you guys give all of these things. You give this 10%, right? You do it like a ritual, but you've forgotten the more important things, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But then Jesus goes on and says this, you should have practiced the latter, right? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former. What Jesus is saying is you shouldn't neglect your tithing. You should your tithing and practice these things. This isn't an Old Testament thing. It's the tithe. And he says, bring it to the storehouse. Here's my thing. The storehouse is where you go. If you come here and you believe that God has led you here and your kids come here and they receive ministry and you receive ministry here, he says, bring it to the storehouse. Bring it here. This is where we give back out. And if you don't believe in the mission that we have here, then you need to go to a church that you really believe in. That. I don't mean it hard. I mean it sincerely. You need to go where you believe in what we're doing. But I know this, that, 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 that what we could do and what God has called us to, as these doors stand open before us in both Haiti, Haiti is a little orphanage full of kids that we've been supporting, and many of you here have met them personally because we've been over there. And in India, there's an orphanage, and they don't have anybody. Yet God has said, here they are, Selwyn. Here they are, Glad Tidings. Here they are. Here's the opportunity for you to pour in. Do you know if we had another $400,000, what you could do for them? And it's not going, oh, when we have this. We're already doing it. We're already feeding. But what is God doing with us? We as a church of, of, of 300 people, we have a church with over 30 nationalities have the ability to reach into so many different countries, and we are doing it. But God says, Helen, it's here, and I've given it. And it's here to meet the needs of people around you, and it's here also to meet the needs of the church here. See, we're like a household as well. We're called, I as a, as a leader, as a minister, am called to give as well. We as a church, corporately, are called to give as well. And you as an individual are called to do the same. I think it's awesome that God has called each one of us here. Each one of you, he is called by name. And he is placed, not just in Quincy, but he has placed you in this place to pour into this place, to pour into this church to pour into the ministries of this church, to pour into the communities uh, in Quincy and the surrounding, uh, surrounding areas of Quincy. God has placed us with this massive mission in our hands. Can you imagine what we could do? Could you imagine what God would do if we begin to actually take steps? The church has already taken these steps. We're already doing it. But will we, together as a church, do it? Will you, as an individual, do it? He wants us to have a part in this mission. He wants us to have a part in the Great Commission. Not just prayerfully, but in every aspect of our lives, He has given us the opportunity. I want to tell you, it's got very little to do about money. It's got very little to do about money. It's got a lot to do about love. It's got a lot to do about passion. It's got a lot to do about with obedience. It's about laying down of ourselves. It's about 
really worshiping God, not just with what we say, but with how we walk. I've said this time and time again, and I say it again. I really want us to be a church that's about the kingdom of God. I do. I want to be a man, and I want to be a pastor that reflects him. And I am far from that. And we as a church are far from that. But God has called us to set our eyes upon him. And God has placed us. Will we, right now, the answer is is in this room. Will we be that church? Will we be that church to reach this place for God? Will we be that church that will actually live this and not just talk about it? That will die to ourselves? Will we be that church that reaches into Quincy, that reaches into the South Shore, that reaches into Boston? Will we be that church that reaches the world? And so the challenge, God says, is this. Into your hands, he has given resources. And he has said, these are for you. And they're good, and they're pleasing. And they're good for your food, and they're good for you to take care of yourselves. But in the middle, there's a very small portion that I don't want you to touch. That I want you to honor me with, that we can build this kingdom. And then he says, take care and manage this. Work it well. Manage this garden. Manage this resource. And he leaves us with a choice. And that's it. And the choice is ours. And obedience brings blessing. And disobedience brings consequences as well. Will we stand? Will we be this church that God has called us to? Will we be Christ? You can stand. (laughs) Somebody's like, I'm definitely standing after this message. I know it's not not an easy message. But you know what? God hasn't placed me here to preach easy messages. I've been placed here to preach what God tells me to preach. And more than anything, more than anything, I do not want to be a fake church. I just don't. I don't want to be a church full of people who come and sing songs, yet walk out of here and glorify ourselves. I don't want to be a place where if that kind of lifestyle feels comfortable here, I am failing. I want to tell you that following Christ is scary sometimes. I want to tell you that my moves of faith, it's terrifying going through them, but afterwards I'm so glad because I've seen what God does. And you don't do it to get back. You do it because, man, I just want to bring this love of Christ to other people. Will you be that church? I want to be it. I want to do it with you guys. But we need to check our hearts. And if we've, if we've been sinning in this area, that's between you and God. I'm not going to go check the time. I don't want to know. But I do know this, is if we check the, our hearts and get them right before God and say, God, I've been doing this wrong. Maybe I didn't know. Well, maybe I've made some bad choices. But Lord, I want to do this right. Our God is gracious. Our God is merciful. And our God will bless us if we will take this to the world. Would you stand with me? Now you can stand. I didn't know how to close this message. 
I certainly didn't want to bring an offering plate up here and say, okay, here's the altar call. Because it makes it look up. This is, if, you, if, if what you've heard here this morning is, is simply us going, oh, bring money to the church, uh, you've heard the wrong message. I am not a money-hungry pastor. I just am not. I want resources so we can touch the world. If you sit in our board meetings, if you're on our leadership teams, I think you know our hearts. So if you hear we want money, you've heard the wrong message. What I'm asking is, do we have hearts of obedience after God? Do we have hearts of compassion for a broken world that really needs to see him? And that's the hearts that we want. And if we have that heart, I want to tell you, other things will just fall into place. It's a heart issue. It's a faith issue. And I believe God's called us to be that, those people, to be this group of Christians that is real. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we just come before you, Lord God. And God, I just thank you, Lord Jesus, that Lord, you saw in that garden when Adam and Eve, Lord, God, they sinned. And God, they went after that fruit, Lord Jesus. And that was separation from you, Lord God. But Lord, in your grace and in your mercy, Lord, you wanted reconciliation. And so you sent your son to die for that sin. To bring restoration, to bring healing, Lord God. That we wouldn't have to walk in death. And that's how great your love is for us, Lord Jesus. And that love has not changed. And God, I just pray right now that you would forgive us as a church. God, for the times we have not done with your finances what you've called us to do. God, I pray that you would forgive me individually. That you would forgive us individually, Lord God. For the times. And even if we're still doing it today, we are not honoring you with what you've called us to honor you with. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as you speak to us, Lord God, that we would want to with all of our hearts to take our place, Lord God, that you've called us to take with our talents, our abilities, our families, and our finances, Lord God. Not to pay a bill, not to check a box, not out of obligation, but God, that we can bring glory to your name and that we can build your kingdom, Lord God, in the very place that you have called us to. That we can reach across oceans, Lord God, to orphanages and places around the world that are struggling, Lord God. And we can use your resources to build your kingdom, Lord God, both near and far, that we would really walk and be the church that you have called us to be, Lord God. And God, we say that, Lord, our lives are yours. Our families are yours. Our skill sets are yours. Our talents are yours. Our finances are yours. Would you glorify your name through them? Lord, you know every need in this place. You know every burden. You know every financial debt, Lord God. And we surrender them to you, Lord God. We say, Lord, as we move in obedience to you, we ask, Lord God, that you would meet those needs as your word declares. Because we want to live and walk and move and have lives that are honoring and pleasing to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. These altars are open. If you need prayer, if you're sick, if you are hurting, if you just want to spend some time with the Lord, we want to encourage you to come and pray. We love you guys. God bless. And we will see you next week.